Welcome to the Acting Asian Podcast, diving into a journey of acting as an Asian, as well as moments we find ourselves performing Asian. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a wonderful start to your day. To preface off this episode, I met Zubeda through our intro to queer studies class. We talked a little bit about films in the comment section and we ended up getting paired up as a discussion group. And as I got her phone number, I reached out to her to talk about some films that she recommended to me. And that's how we kind of got to know each other a little bit better. But here in this conversation, we are able to deepen our understanding of each other. So stay tuned. Hello, Zubeda. Good morning. Um, how are you feeling for today? Um, well, one, I'm really excited for this because I like, I remember during class, like we both have a class together and you had mentioned um, podcasts and everyone was talking about their podcasts. So I checked out Mara Souls, I checked out yours. Um, and I, like, found myself, like, really liking podcasts, like, more than I thought I would, <laughs> and I texted you at, like, 2 a.m., like, in, uh, New York City time, and I was, like, dude, this is so good, like, <laughs> I'm, like, listening and I love it, um, and, yeah, I just, like, found myself really excited for this, like, more than I thought I would be. Just to give a little bit of context for those who do not know, like, we are in the same class, um, we already ended the semester, no. <laughs> it's close to ending. But we were in the Intro to Queer Studies class together, and that's kind of how we got to meet each other. I think this leads for you to do a little introduction of who you are. Um, yeah, so my name is Beta. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and debatable. I don't really know. <laughs> we can talk about that a little bit more, I guess. Um, let's see. It's my, my first year of college. Um, I don't know. I'm Asian American, specifically South Asian. I also identify as queer or lesbian, and yeah, that's in terms of identity, I guess, that's me. Because we're literally filming this after Thanksgiving, um, what are your like thoughts that kind of happen with how you feel about Thanksgiving? How was it for you celebrating it within your family? I think with Thanksgiving in general, like it's always like a bittersweet quote-unquote holiday, because it's like you're remembering the indigenous lives and the land was stolen this is like the product of it but also it's like <laughs> white people food <laughs> if I'm being honest like that's the one time we kind of eat like turkey and like mashed potatoes and stuff like that so like for me like I think a lot of families have like very heated political conversations at Thanksgiving because most of the time they're seeing each other after a long time but for us like we just it's kind of like normal and we're not really talking about anything I guess political is more so just like hanging out and eating food we usually wouldn't eat. So when people talk about the fear of like, um, like having to like be ostracized at the dinner table, I never have that experience because our family dynamic is just different in that sense. Um, I'm not saying better, but it's just different. That's how I would say it. Are there other celebrations other than Thanksgiving, which is a very American holiday that you and your family celebrate? Uh, for us, it's Eid, for sure. Um, we have two Eids, and so then Muslim as well. There's one Eid where, like, uh, so I'm, we call them, <laughs> the kids call them money Eid, and then the other Eid, because on one Eid, uh, the elders, like, they give you money. Um, it's, I guess, like, similar to Chinese New Year's, like, the red envelopes, like, kind of like that. Um, but yeah, the elders usually will give you money, and, like, I pester my sisters to only, like, 
not that much older than me, but still, I'm like, no, 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 you're old enough to, like, give me money now, and, like, um, I think that's when families really do come together, and it's, like, really fun, and, um, that one is more, I guess, meaningful to me, because Thanksgiving, again, like, it doesn't have any cultural significance to me, and although Eve is, like, a religious holiday, it's also very cultural, like, the things that we do, the food that we eat, like, first thing in the morning, like, there's, um, this, like, sweet called shemai, and it's, like, I'm, I'm not really sure, it's, like, sweet noodles, kind of, and, um, it's kind of what we have in the morning, and this is, like, it's become, like, a cultural and family tradition, just to do that, and, like, taste everyone's, like, sweets in the morning, also, I'm Bengali, so, like, that, we're very big on sweets, so, um, yeah, that's something that I personally, like, hold really, like, close to. Oh, my God, so, the, over here, like, you telling me about all these, there's a lot of different like forms of identity that you identify with in terms of family growing up. How is your family dynamic? Um, and how does that kind of influence with all these like cultural things that you have been coming in interaction with? Um, yeah, so that's like a big part of my identity. Like uh, I'm the youngest in the family and um, I have two older sisters that, so basically everyone in my family is like a different generation. Um, my sisters are millennials, my parents are I don't know. I think boomers. I don't. I honestly don't know. <laughs> but um, I think that's really where like the divide comes. Like politically, culturally, everything. I'm very much so different, and um, I think like I'm like considered like the black sheep of the family because, like, I'm like a leftist, and then my parents, like, I'm pretty sure my dad's like a registered Republican, and like it's like a really weird dynamic because we're also people of color, and it's like my dad also had like. The immigrant struggle so I don't really know like where it comes from and um often <clears throat> even though we don't have these debates on Thanksgiving I have them every day <laughs> with my family like so I think that's why for me it's not a big deal because every day I'm like challenging these ideas and um I'm also the first person in my family like go to therapy and like actually I guess like talk about issues and like not really like hold them in because for me it's like what is the point of like just pretending everything's okay if that makes sense i think that's also very gen z like not wanting to like i guess like follow your parents ideas and like your families um so i think in terms of like family dynamic also like my siblings so i have two older sisters they're kind of like my second parents and i think like my mom and my sisters have like a big influence on like how i'm raised my dad is like more so like not not there but more so like um like he just like works and like provides for the family and uh, my mom would always be like oh like your dad's like your neighbor like he that's how you talk to your dad I'm like oh like I, I do like my dad but it's just like a weird dynamic like I would say that you brought up black sheep that's something that I have felt with my family like I am a leftist <laughs> um this is probably the first time I've said this on the podcast and I'm also the first person to go to therapy. So it's really interesting because even though my parents' views politically are not Republican, but they're still traditional to some degree with some generational divide. Also with the impression that when both my mom and dad came to America, it's like the American dream to pursue that. And if as long as you work hard, you're able to get to where you want to be. And that's like the sense of meritocracy as well. How does 
conversations with your family kind of go into these moments of clashing where do you find a sense of harmony um i think with my family like it's come to a point where they just stop <laughs> stop arguing with me for example the recent um political election right um no no one in my family voted for trump but my oldest sister didn't vote and you know she can vote so she's like she's 27 um and we talked about that i was like why would you not like i also didn't want to vote for biden like it's my first year voting um i voted for biden unfortunately but you know i did what i did and for me that was also like a personal struggle like even going out and doing that because i truly like hate kamala harris like i really don't uh, I don't. I don't get to feel like glad. I don't know if that's okay with your like podcast. It's your personal point of view, and I would love to hear that. Like with our family, like with things like that, right? It's like we'll talk about it, but they've kind of given up with me because I, I try to hear. I try to listen and reason with them and like hear what they're saying, but then I when I like say something back, it's like I'm not really being heard, and I think that's struggling the youngest. Also, just like regardless of what you say, you're still a kid, and it's like oh okay, like. Like, um, I can say, like, 50 things and only hear, like, maybe one thing. And at the end of the day, like, I feel like they are taking away things sometimes. Like, because I'm very persistent with this sometimes. But sometimes I'm just, like, I don't care. Like, I can't, like, I just can't keep doing this. It's, like, draining for me, too. Um, so, like, for us, it's, like, kind of, like, unspoken, like, agreements. Like, a, like we'll just end it there and just, like, for both of our mental stability like we don't want to keep going at it you know um when I was younger like in middle school they would call me like mother Teresa but in like a mean way (laughs) like um if I would just keep like talking about human rights and stuff like that and like that's that's when it really started like middle school like when it piqued my interest like when I was on social media and started seeing other people and like that's when I started like being more self-aware um that's when they started like really going at it they're like oh, like, you're being different, and, like, what are you saying, and this and that, that's when, like, that's when I started, like, you know, forming my own opinions, and that's when they also, like, noticed that, um, and that was when the clashes really did start, but now it's just, like, yeah, you think your thing, I think my thing, that's it. How was it growing up for you? Um, well, one being South, (laughs) South Asian, but also one being queer, and, like, grappling with that, and trying to understand what that means for me, and that, (laughs) that was a ride, for sure, but being South Asian, like, I hated it at first. Like, I um, I think, like, a lot of people of color, especially Asian kids, like, really do grow up with, like, the idea of wanting to be white or the idea, like, I mean, it's just hard because you're, it feels like you're stuck in between somewhere, like, in a black and white world and, like, you don't know where you really are. And that's how it felt for me because, um, so in my middle school, it was, like, uh, it was primarily black and brown students, so... I never, I didn't feel like ostracized, but I did feel like I had to go one way or another. And if you were too brown, you're a fob. And then if you weren't, like you're just, I don't know, like you're normal, I guess. And for me, it's like I felt myself like trying to follow trends and this and that. But I was always like kind of eccentric and quirky, so <laughs> it didn't work out that well. Um, I, like, this is so nerdy, but I <laughs> spent time with, like, my teachers during lunch, and, like, I hung out, I, I always, like, this is kind of sound really messed up, but, like, I always, like, hung out with older people, like, I, because kids my age were so cruel, <laughs> like, and it just, like, wasn't, like, I just, we weren't thinking the same, and, like, um, not to say that I'm more mature, but, like, I just, like, 
it wasn't the same, like, you know? And with adults, like, I felt respected and I felt, like, loved with them and, like, not a weird way, just, like, I just felt like I was being understood better. And so a lot of my lunch periods, I would spend, like, helping teachers create things or, like, helping with their classroom. Um, so that was, like, me in middle school. But um, I do remember, like, this very stark change and, like, me starting to appreciate being South Asian. Like, I, I think, like, because of kids around me, kids would say, like, one time this one uh, girl, she was, like, behind me, not talking to me. She's talking to her friend, and she goes, she's not South Asian, and she goes, um, like, so, like brown people smell like curry because it seeps into their skin. I was like, oh, <laughs> you're, <laughs> I was like, wait, wait a minute. I was like, does that, and I was, like, in sixth grade, and I was like, wait, does that, like, is that, and then, and then I would hear things like, oh, like, brown girls have, like, oily hair all the time, or, like, or under their hijab, it's all oil and, like, all that stuff, right? And just, like, little things that kind of build up and, like, hurt you, I guess, in terms of, like, your identity and, like, how you see yourself. So I never thought that brown kids could be cool, if I could say it like that, right? Or Asian kids in general could be cool. Because we're always, like, the nerdy stereotypes of movies and, like, you know, like, that's how we're seen. And then in seventh grade, um, I got on Twitter. <laughs> so, so, like, corny, but I got on Twitter and... That's when I started seeing, like, older brown kids, and so cool. Like, I'm going to shout out, like, Bay.do um, and Mina Hill. Like, these people, like, were everything for me. Like, they're plus size, they're brown, they're super duper cool. Like, I was like, wait, we can be cool, too. And, like, that was my entire change. And then, like, in high school, um, I, I went to a really, really, like, liberal high school. Um, it was an early college, so... All of our professors were, like, chill with us. They respected us. We called them by their first names. And, like, it was, like, really... It's a very, like, chill environment. And most people there were, like, liberal. And if you weren't, you were, like, called out for it. Like, there's probably, like, two or three kids max. Not even. Like, if you were, like, you wouldn't say anything. And, like, I don't know if that's a good thing. But, like, for me, it was very comforting. Like, everyone, like, was on the same wavelength. If you want to say it like that. Um, so that's, like, also where, like, my activism, like, bloomed. To some degree, that is a form of representation that you were able to see on Twitter when you were in an environment where you felt like, oh, there wasn't this representation that I really looked towards other than like older people like my teachers. And I think that's so important when we say that to see people on social media or in person, it like it exposes you to a sense of visibility to see like, oh, these are people that exist and they also advocate for things that I really care about. What were some kind of forms of influences either through films or TV shows or specific individuals as you have shout out before that have really helped pave you into finding this sense of comfort in this representation that you liked and admired? I think for me, I, so in high school, like, as I mentioned, I went to an early college. Um, so second half of it was just college, and we were taking college courses, and I took all of the Asian classes I could. So, And there were also film classes, so I took Asian American film, so, uh, cinema of South Asia, um, Central Asian film and literature. I took everything I could, right? And this is when I started, like, finding films that were comfort films for me. So um, Joy Luck Club, I think, hands down my comfort film because... The character, uh, if anyone knows, character June and her struggle like with being an Asian American daughter and like how that works out. And it was so relatable for me. And 
I, <laughs> I remember sobbing, like literally sobbing in the middle of class. I didn't care who was around me. I was crying. And then I, I, it, it just hit me in a different way. And when I left class, I was still crying. I cried for maybe 30 minutes after, like in the bathroom. I was like, this is not like in the there's a gentleman's bathroom so it's like one person only so i was just crying and i was like oh my god <laughs> um and that movie was like kind of the start for me like watching more films that i thought represented in because i think despite what people say regardless of what type of asian you are there's a very common struggle in asian american daughters and or typically raised as daughters and how that plays out i think there, i think there are a lot more similarities than people want to admit because of uh, based off looks so if we don't look the same, like, us two, right? But I feel like our, our experiences could be very similar because of, like, how, I guess, America views you in general. And um, I started watching more movies, so, like, uh, Saving Face, it's about two Asian-American queer women. And that, that too, I felt so many, like, I was like, yeah, I feel represented there. And movies like that. And I started to like, really think about it, though. And I was like, sorry, um, I was like, these are all East Asian main characters. And, like, what does that mean for me? Am I taking representation from other people? And it's, like, I just had, like, a little, like, crisis. I was, like, wait. Wait a minute. Like, why are all my favorite movies and, like, relatable, like, comfort films with East, East Asian main characters? And um, they're all so relatable for me. Like, I consider them, like, movies that shape me or, um, like, give me a sense of who I am. And then I really thought about, like, am I taking something from other people in other communities? And they, it was, we're from the same community, but there's definitely, like, divide, <laughs> divides. And um, then I thought about it even more. I was like, wait, but there aren't any South Asian, like, I guess, um, opposite, uh, what's the word? Like, something to match it, I guess? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's nothing for that. And I just kind of grabbed what I could get, if that makes sense. And that's where I really, like, felt like I had a struggle, like, with myself. I was like, am I taking something? Am I appropriating something? And, you know, but it's like, there's nothing for me, like, specifically uh, built for me. So it's like, I have to, you know, go with what makes sense and feels right to me. So movies like that is where I, you know, connected. Now at this age, I'm like, oh, we need more representation when it comes to Asian, like the Asian community, but also at the same time, the represent the little representation that we see is predominantly East Asian. The way that you were saying in terms of like, oh, am I appropriating this culture? A part of me was like, oh no, like the East Asian community and the representation, Asian community should encapsulate all of it, not just mm -hmm. feel like, oh, am I like separate in this part? Because yeah, I think to some degree, we share very similar themes of like family, either because of this generational like coming to America and kind of adapting with life being as an immigrant too. And these themes are so prevalent and still like current now. But yeah, it's really interesting that you said like Saving Face and Joy Luck Club, those are like so good. And yeah. also like with Saving Face, I think that was the first film that I watched that actually depicted um, queer love in like the Asian community or like this sense of Asian visibility. How were you finding your sense of queerness and identity? When did that kind of form for you? What were the things that kind of sparked into realizing your own identity in that way? That sucks. <laughs> that sucks so much for me. Like seriously, that, that I think that part of my identity took the longest because 
you don't see South Asian queer people. Like, you really don't. And it's, like, um, at least in media, um, you have to seek that out. And that's where, I think, and growing up at home, like, you hear that, like, queer, a lot of things, like, mental health, queerness, stuff like that, are considered products of white people. Like, uh, like uh, poor mental health is for white people like that's something they made up to be dramatic or like that's something that they made up and it's not for people of color i think that's also like when it comes to mental health that's something that my family struggled with um just kind of thinking you're making things up or fabricating things to be dramatic or you're you're taking things from white people because you want to be white and it's like no that's like farthest from what i am like i'm not a white person and same thing with queerness so the only queer people i saw were white people in media so i'm like they're my family's ideas and that what i saw in media had like inter like overlapped and i was like oh shit maybe they're right like maybe they're not lying but obviously in middle school like um like first girl i like was brown <laughs> like she was another brown girl and um it's like you're you're feeling what you're feeling but like imposter syndrome if that makes sense or i'm um, just like feeling like you're lying to yourself or you're just lying for like dramaticism and like uh other people's like attention but like I haven't told anyone so like who am I really asking for um so I just kept that part of me a secret up until high school so I go to high school and pretty much (laughs) my school is again very it's very small there's like 600 kids for four grades and we all like know each other and my school is very 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 queer (laughs) very queer like um we have National Coming Out Day every day, every year. People come out every year in the Black Books Theater. Professors always come and also come out. Um, like the environment, this is like I'm trying to build a stage for you to see like where I kind of grew up for a, lo- a big portion of my development, and that's that's where I grew up basically, a place where like people didn't care and like were open about sexuality. For for me to see that. Um, I was already, like, a strong ally, quote-unquote, if people can't see me, <laughs> strong ally. <laughs> um, I was already, I always, I always ask people for their pronouns. Um, I, like, wanted, always wanted to be respectful, even though, like, I am a part of the community, I just wasn't ready to say that I was. Um, so I just kind of drifted by as being ally, ally, ally. Middle of ninth grade, I was like, shoot, maybe I should just come out as, like, bisexual, just, like, call it like that, you know, just, like, it's easier, like, not to say, like, for other bi people, like, this is, it's an easy way out, I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying it's, like, a segue <laughs> to either quote-unquote side, um, but for me, that was how I could start, in it, you know, just being there at all, so, um, that was really hard for me, but, uh, because, again, it felt like I was, like, alone, like, the old, I'm also Muslim, so <laughs> that's another added layer, people think, like, with Christianity, like, you can say, like, they can be Christian gay people, but with Islam, I feel like people are just too strict. They're like, no way, like, there's no Muslims that are also queer. Like, that's not a, um overlap that can happen, but that's very false, <laughs> like, now coming out and seeing so many people that are also Muslim and queer. But um, specifically, like, for me, like, I had a mentor. This is where everything changed for me. So, um, in the 10th grade, I started a South Asian Student Association, um, which again, is like a very big jump for me because I was so ashamed a few years ago, but now I'm so in love with it and I was just like, I wanted to bring other people to this. Um, so we had to look for mentors and like people to uh, advise the club. We tried with two South Asian professors, they were too busy, and then we tried with a faculty member, so like, uh, not a staff member, and she like, 
she was working with student affairs, I think. Super cool, like so intimidating. I was like, I don't wanna I don't wanna go up to them. And then like I do and like they're like super chill and um we're actually like friends even now, like after we both have left the school but we still like hang out. Like, um he's twenty two, twenty three. And um I was just like like I really look it up to her and she's queer. Um, she's Pakistani and like for me that was in Muslim and for me that was everything. I was like like she's so proud of who she is and she's so out there and open about everything. That's what pushed me. Like I was like, now I can like be who I am because now I have someone I can like talk to. And I would talk to her all the time and like um <laughs> I would be in the main office for <laughs> most of my free periods. And we would just like talk and like Again, weirdly, I bond better with older people, and uh, we just had like this amazing relationship. And she, like, inadvertently, like, gave me like all the strength that I needed to like really come to terms with who I am. And yeah, that was my first bit of representation, but it's all I needed. Like seriously, it's all I needed because she was so out there. Wow, it, I think it's so important when it comes with education. This is something I always say, but like, one teacher can like literally change your perception of the world or it can help you leave such a strong imprint even after you graduate and like several years later you're gonna look back and be like wow because I've met, met this person and I found mm-hmm. someone who was able to guide me in some degree and that's beautiful oh my god this is something I'm so compelled by with you having a lot of identity when it comes with like being South Asian being Bengali being Muslim and also being queer. So what were some things that, or difficulties that you've kind of juggled or still juggle every day? Were there moments where you were really aware and cognizant about your own ethnicity and identity that you've all like brought into when you're in a room? For me, it's like in high school, my school is very white, but I just typically gravitated towards other people of color. And then in people, groups of people of color, a lot of people are already queer. And like, that's where I found community. But when you leave high school, I, in high school, it doesn't matter if with professors or with friends, I spoke the same. I never really switched up how I talked. Um, and that worked because professors were, like, fine with it. They they were also very casual with us. Like, they, there's no, this weird, like, um, you know how professors can be, like, very authoritarian and they want, they, for some reason, need you to, like, I guess, like, fall <laughs> to them in a sense, like, it's like a weird power trip that some professors do have like I've never experienced that but once I um started to get into activism more and like politics like in the city I had to sit in rooms that like I I didn't see anyone else look like me or have like any like other attributes like me and I had to like fix how I talk which is so weird for me because I haven't had to do that in like all the um where I spent most of my time which that which was at school and I had to, like, enunciate my words better, you know, have different types of grammar and, like, um, which is fine. I can do it, but it's it was just really hard for me at first because I knew I wouldn't be taken seriously if I didn't talk a certain way or if I didn't present a certain way. Um, I had to dress a certain way. Otherwise, no one would listen to me or even look at my way. And um, I'm a CS major, so <laughs> when I went to college... Again, triple, like, no one looks like me. And um, 
I think like there's a stereotype that a lot of South Asians in CS classes, but for me, as of now, I haven't seen other brown kids, and um, you know, it's like, wait. And then I remember the first day of college, like I went in for the first day, like it was socially distanced, and it was like all men, it was all men, and I was like, this is interesting, and I and I like saw, I felt myself like, I guess like go into my shell, like I didn't talk at all, and like I. I talk a lot. <laughs> I'm very talkative and I just talk to people and um, I just found myself like kind of like off put by it and it was so weird for me. I, I knew people said that classes would be primarily men with CS majors and I knew that was a thing but it was different to see it and feel it and then um, also like not there's like not a lot of queer people going to tech either. That's another thing that people say and it's so real, like, it's so real, like, you can feel it in conversations with other people, and I think I talked about this in class one time, but being in queer spaces is so different from being in, like, primarily straight spaces, because I feel like you, again, you have to, like, feel, not filter, but talk about things differently, like, when it comes to gender, like, I feel like you can have so many more complicated conversations with other queer people, but when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to more, like, straight cis people, it's, like, very... I don't want to say dumbed down, but it's different. It's like it's like a level of not understanding, and sorry, I'm gonna do this. It's like a level of not understanding on like a deeper level, and that's just something I noticed. I just have to change how I talk. Um, I'm trying to do that less and less, and I do do it less and less. But then people just don't take you seriously, and it's like already hard I'm like five two I'm like short and like no one like I already don't look intimidating <laughs> so it's like hard for me and um you know I need to be talking I need to be um you know participating but when I do I, ha- I have that fear that I'm looking like being the stereotype of a brown girl who's too assertive and that goes for women in general like women that are just too assertive just by answering questions and then that's already an off-putting and then people don't want to like talk to you and like it's like this whole complicated thing and it's like I just find myself altering my you know my voice in different settings thank you so much for like taking me into your psyche in that way because I feel like there's so many things that I can resonate with you mentioning that you are a CS major and essentially you are a woman in STEM and Mm -hmm. you are a brown woman in STEM one of my friends will often talk about how there is this lack of representation for women in STEM and also how sometimes in spaces like these specifically within tech like she's looked down because she's a woman there isn't as much like vocal or like activism within stem or specifically cs because you don't i mean there is but you don't see as much as it because it's a predominantly male field i think often when you see like queer people in stem most often it's white gay man Mm -hmm. in there and that is like the closest representation that is more visible and then as you go down the ladder there's like less and less also when you mention like conversations that become dumbed down I feel that I really genuinely do feel that when like I love I loved our class and we can talk a little bit about that (laughs) and I think it was great and wonderful like to have these conversations and also have the readings like I think the readings really help deepen into conversations whereas like when I'm in other predominantly like straight um, focused classes and stuff, 
the even the mentioning of gender yes that is like the most general of it but as we go deeper to talk about like race and we're talking about ethnicity and we're talking about religion and things like this these become like barely scratched upon so i was wondering like what you may think about in terms of like oh how our class was too in terms of conversations <laughs> and things like that yeah i i think when it comes to conversations like that um uh, there's also like another niche, like niche that's like people of color who are also queer because when it comes again like you had mentioned like the white gay cis man is the close representation and that's not something i connect to um again if we're talking about film like i can't watch white lesbian movies i can't like i know a lot of people like portrait of lady portrait of a lady burning on fire i couldn't watch it i i i don't mind slow burn movies i really don't but i couldn't sit through this one and um, if I want to compare it to something else, like The Handmaiden. The Handmaiden was a masterpiece. Like, seriously, so good. If I, if I had to compare these two, which I don't know if I should be, because they're both different types of movies, but they're both queer movies, I would pick The Handmaiden. Like, I also just feel more represented in queer spaces with people of color. That's another thing. Like, when I'm in white spaces, primarily white spaces with queer people, it's not the same also. Because then again, there's another like layer of like class, but also race and ethnicities more specifically and like how that plays into it. Because it's like, you know, like in a lot of uh, queer uh, organizations, are, it's pushes for like, oh, just come out, <laughs> like just come out. But that's not an option for a lot of people. Like seriously, it's not like financially, culturally, it just doesn't work for, it's just different for people of color. Like it's not as easy as saying just come out. Like there's so many more repercussions to coming out. Or like more safety measures coming out and I think there's too much of a push to conform to heteronormativity if that makes sense because culturally like even especially in Asian culture I wrote, I wrote my entire thesis on this but um there's a lot of there's a lot of queer history that people don't realize that goes back like hundreds and hundreds of years like there have there has always been um people with different off the gender binary like it's not always on there and queer queer wise like it's also there's always been like different relationships like that sexual or romantic like there's always been queer people and this is more like going into what type of history you want to talk about but um I think the idea that like this is something that's been in our culture and this is like I don't know it's like not it's just different for me like, I just find myself more comfortable with people of color and then also queer, queer people combined. And that's, like, where I feel most safe. And then for our class, again, it was, like, primarily white. So this is another thing. This is what I'm talking about. Um, it's not that I wasn't comfortable with the conversation. I think we had really, really good conversations. But I think sometimes we were leaving out race. Like, I felt that we were leaving out race a little bit much or ethnicity or where that plays into this. And... I think that's what kind of put me off by it. I was just like, there's more to this than just their queer identity. There's You need to look at everything because that's what makes a person. You can't just look at one side and just like leave out everything else because all these other sides influence each other, you know? And then we just like talked about one thing. So queer studies, like intro to queer studies in PACE, it's under women and gender studies, I believe. Mm-hmm. I've taken a lot of classes in women and gender studies and the first actual like Asian professor was Minnie Chu. When I first came into PACE, she was like the first 
Asian like person and professor that was in women and gender studies that I seen. And to say the amount of representation, like just for her being there in that mm -hmm. space during that time was such a pivotal moment for me to see a face that was similar to me. And her presence was like, yeah, she understands to some degree, like, and she'll share her stories of like her struggles, like coming out to her parents. All the educators or professors I've had have left a really strong impact for me. And most of them at the same time are predominantly white though. It's something that I think about and I'm glad that you've brought it up because in queer studies or like even within a lot of other classes that I've taken and I would talk with a lot of my peers, they would say like, well, we left out race. Like we don't talk about race. Like we're literally in a predominantly white class. And when we don't talk about this, this becomes left out in the whole prospects of like film as being something that you are really interested in. Do you think that there are any other forms of art or other like things, not just art, that really help pave representation and also community building too? I think creatives in general, like, you know, makeup artists and um, models and photographers and people that are just living their lives like openly on social media, I think that in itself is like activism. <laughs> Because it's, again, giving you representation. Like, like earlier I would mentioned Mina Hill and Bay.do Do and how they were just living their lives on social media. Like, it was, they, they weren't doing anything special specifically, but being themselves. But for me, that that was representation because they were cool. <laughs> I was like, like, they're cool brown people doing their thing. And, like, that, I think for kids, that's so important. And um, aside from films, like, you know, aside from, like, media in general, like, you know, films and TV shows. I think just having like influencers that are also, um, you know, brown or queer, it's Asian in general, helps so much because we always see like white influencers at the forefront of like what people should be buying, what people like the trends and stuff. But often these trends are appropriated from people of color, so why not have the people of color at the like at the front, you know? And I think that's so important to see like oh like we're just as capable if not more, like, then it's, like, it doesn't matter, like, who, like, your race, like, you should be able to also have the same, like, what do you call it, like, um, reach, in a sense, because, mm-hmm, and, um, off, I don't know, TikTok, right, so people on TikTok are always, like, you guys let white people get famous for no reason at all, but if a beautiful, like, person of color were just to stare at the screen, they're not gonna go famous, like, you know, guys, many, like, Charlie Jamila, like, no hate to her, but, like, she has, like, 100 million followers from taking someone else's dance, right, that she didn't credit in the beginning, and now uh, the other girl doesn't have as many, uh, followers or likes or stuff, like, it's not, it's not a numbers game, but it also is, <laughs> because that's how people gauge representation, gauge, like, um, I guess influence in a gen in general sense, right, so just by having influencers, because people are glued to their phone, like they're glued to social media, TikTok, Instagram, and stuff like this, and that's where they will see people, you know, they feel like comfortable with them, represented by. And I think that's so important by having more Asian people in like creative positions. As you are a Gen Z, you've went to early college. Now you're paced right now. How is that transition going about with? your feeling of cultural identity for me so technically at pace i'm a junior 
um so i don't i have a limited time already to make friends and i haven't made many because of the you know it's my first year in the pandemic i had you know it's just harder you know so i think with all that it's just i think it is different and i'm still struggling with it because cultural events like i also don't know the vibe of the school yet like i kind of do but i, I just know it's a lot of like um kids from like the south <laughs> that are excited to be in new york city and i think for me it's also just thinking about like <laughs> it is um i know you're out of state so i'm not saying like that but i'm saying there's a lot of out of state kids that come in to new york city and just treat it very like kind of like a yeah it's glamorized i'm like i lived here my entire life i live in queens people you a lot of people would even think about going to queens because they don't know they they don't know outside of manhattan other boroughs exist but also like i live in jamaica so it's like more like again another in queens another place that people don't go to you know you know it's just like even deeper into queens and people just don't go here um in general so i think when i like in my unv one i still have to take unv 101 because my first year here so um for ed, for people listening it's like a freshman seminar basically um and i remember this not no shade at all no shade at all but like she was she was talking about how people were like ringing their bells outside when biden had won and how like surreal that was for her and like um and i, I forgot she was just saying like oh this is like this is new york period i'm like that's not new york like yeah i guess it is but like in queens it was quiet <laughs> like in astoria it was really loud and i live in a very queens is very residential like most of it's residential and i live in a very residential area we didn't have the same hype and like i don't know am i missing out on the new york experience even though i've lived here my entire life like it's like a weird dynamic and just like thinking about how people talk about new york in a very glamorized way it, i don't know it's weird when you grow up here yeah like this kind of leads me to think about because you did mention you really really dislike kamala harris and i think <laughs> yeah. that's something so important to recognize because like i think yes i am glad that okay with biden and harris of course they were not my pick for <laughs> president and vice president but it was something i eventually had to choose onto but also many people really celebrate kamala harris for being vice president because she was the first poc i'm curious like where your thoughts are in terms of all this because this is the feeling of identity politics too mm -hmm. when we talk about this yeah, for me, it's, like, I think people were expecting me to be really, and not me, because people know who I am, but, like, in general, like, um, I think people expecting South Asian to be, South Asian to be very excited for this, because um, we've never seen a South Asian in, in any position of power, I guess, like, in America. Well, I guess we have on lower levels, never in this, you know, big of, and, like, vice president, that's big. Um, so, I think people expect, I saw a lot of, like, you know, like, the brown social, like, social media pages, like, for Asian activism, and then also South Asian activism specifically, so things like that, there's a lot of infographics of people, um, being really excited for this, and I was like, I'm not, I'm really not, because you know what, representation doesn't, isn't always proper representation, like, I don't feel represented by her, I, also, like, another thing, within South Asia, I'm, like, being all either, like, considered, quote-unquote, the lowest, like, we got colonized, and like conquered and like um we're we're not, we have more people but like we're considered a smaller country like i don't know like being bengali is not a thing like um socioeconomically like 
we also like are in a lower class i guess like in america is there casteism that also comes in right that's what i'm saying it's like when with kamala harris's win it's like dude just in the brahmin brahmin is like the top cast right so it's another like a brahmin winning and brahmins are always in position to power so it's like nothing new and then like for so people like um and i'm in i'm technically considered diaspora so people in diaspora like other activists like i follow activists in india and they're like this is not a win we're not from america but this isn't a win guys like stop this is not a win and it's like what they're saying is also important because they experience casteism on a real level because in those countries it's still like it's still there people will say it's not but it is in america there's also casteism it's just more hidden so for me it's like whenever i see indian um actors or you know actresses it like am i indian american it's like yeah win yay but i don't feel represented because bengalis aren't i don't know if you noticed but it's always indian or pakistani but mainly indian and bengalis are never there like ever um so it's like i also don't feel represented there either because my country's like india like overpowered bangladesh and stuff like that so like um i mean i'm old enough to like not be like holding up something like war from like a long time ago but it's just thinking about power and like how that works like today and like how it works even in america and sorry (laughs) i'm all over the place that's kamala uh kamala is like her politics in general they've never matched what i believe in like kamala is basically a cop (laughs) like let's put it like that like she's put millions of like so many people into jail um her charges were always like it's the way that she has put out policies in the past like she's not someone that i would ever ever feel connected to and i think when people were saying like oh like yay we have an um also an indian uh vice president like a vp she doesn't connect she doesn't care about her south asian side like she like i don't think she really cares about her either identities because she's hurt both communities multiple times so why would she care like she just she's just there like this this is 100 percent identity politics and i'm all for representation but not when it's like this like not all representation is good representation this isn't something i should be celebrating just because i'm south asian like i won't and i won't you know fall to that idea that i have to because she's not someone that i would ever celebrate ever regardless of you know representation i didn't really know specifically when it comes to the caste system there's a lot more things that kind of go out if we don't take into context of what's happening outside of America. Instead, we're just like, oh, well, look, this is actually like representation and all, but that doesn't take and bring out the full story of it. When it comes to Bengali representation, you don't really see as much of it. Are there any specific people or rare films that allow you to find the sense of representation in that? Um, I, I can't remember any bengali specifically bengali but like you know never not never never have ever right mindy kaling's show i liked it i thought it was cute but it also it was very <laughs> like indian indo i don't say indo country but like centered on the indian american experience and people wanted to co-opt that for all south asian experiences and it's really not the same because typically um i think if you think about like wealth and how that works um in ethno like within asia people want to say asians are successful and they're winning and they're this and that but in model minority myth right but like that comes from 
two countries primarily, which is China and India, and them in America and who is making the most money. But like, if you think about education and money and like how that the class and how that works, Southeast Asians in America are struggling. They're the least educated in America, um, least educated group in America, and like they don't have the same access that other groups would. So I think it's like such um a snub to just be saying that like all Asians are rich because that's not how it works and um unfortunately a lot of us also because of like trauma from you know our own country's history like it's also how that plays in today and like research and how that works so I think um that's another part where it's like like you were saying earlier it's just so layered like there's so much that goes into it that it can't just be one answer like Indian American representation for everyone you know it's just like it's just like I don't find representation things like this um so I just go with whatever feels the most comfortable. It doesn't have to be look, look like me, so. I think then that may lead to sometimes you have to selectively take moments of choosing what parts are wins or losses when it comes to representation. Looking through a film that has like Muslim representation, like that would be some part of a win, some part of a loss. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of sometimes having to pick and choose when it's not an entire focus on your identity entirely. Do you think that overall within America and where you live, has there been more Asian American or Pacific Islander kind of representation? How do you think that like issues and politics within the community have changed now? I think as a whole, like Asian Americans are underrepresented everywhere, like in positions of power. And at least in my opinion, and I feel like um, you won't see Asian Americans in politics very often and if you do it's in a bad way I would say like it's not for something that um our communities really do need it's more things that I would say uh, appeal of like they're more more attractive to white communities and communities that are you know more wealthy not that they're the same not that white and wealthy is the same but often it does overlap so that's where I think politics like go towards um, I think, like, as a whole, though, just, like, in all industries, like, we're just not represented. <laughs> That's just how it is, and, um, I'm, I feel like our generation, though, is changing that. I think slowly people are trying for more, but I think also we're looking at an American perspective. Um, I think there's so, so many cool, dope, like, artists out of America, and, like, it sucks that we can't have that same community here because, again, people are too focused on, like, having one way or the other. So it's just that whole thing. Okay, there is like influences of K-pop coming into America. Oh, yeah. But that's like the closest, I think, when it comes to Asian representation and prominence. I mean, 88 Rising, I'm not sure if you know, there are more emerging into it, but I think it is like a slow kind of gradual thing mm-hmm. that comes in. I'm really curious, like, because you mentioned there are a lot of things that are often unspoken or things that we don't talk about there's dominant narratives within like south asian representation or south asian Mm -hmm. visibility and things like this what do you think are some things that are missing that need to be brought into attention there needs to be people need to stop pretending that just because you're muslim you can't be queer or like just because you're south asian you can't have like a queer person also in it i think there's like too much of the idea it has to be separate and I think with other communities, there's been more experimentation with having queer characters that are, the, like, also, like, that specific communities. 
honestly remember <laughs> just like <laughs> um like like you can have like hispanic queer characters and i think there's been more um experimentation again in these other communities but within the south asian community people are too like all or nothing like either you can love your culture and just be like that and not have any other um quote-unquote contrasting identities um and then like that's what i've heard with myself that whoa like you're that's interesting like there's so many things i wouldn't expect because you're south asian or because you're muslim like why like would you say that to someone else like would you say, would you say that to a white person like if a white person also happened to be like um like jewish or muslim um, christian or muslim you know like would you also say that's so interesting that you're also queer like you know there's also like it's like a, it's like a double standard like people never question other communities um and i think like that when it comes to the south asian community specifically also asian community as a whole like it needs to be i feel like people expect asians to be so like neat and like this and like i'm making a box with my hands right now but like <laughs> kind of just like uh just into one little category that like they're ner- they're nerdy or they're smart and then if they are rebellious it's one streak of blue hair like have you heard like the asian hair streak like oh no like you know like in movies when they want to make an asian character rebellious they just show them with a little bit of blue hair i'm like like it's like a whole trope like if they want to make an asian character rebellious they put a little bit of blue hair in there and they're like yeah there you go um and it's like asian characters can't be cool like why like why why are they so why are they so like obedient (laughs) um and then i saw this tiktok the other day where it was like this like white girls like posting like I've never seen Asians smoke weed. I'm like, really? <laughs> Have you come to New York City? Like, <laughs> like, um, like I don't know. It's just like the idea that Asians can't do anything but study and listen to their parents, and that's the narrative in all community, all Asian communities. It's so weird. It's like all or nothing. You can't have even a little bit of difference without it making your character completely different like why can't there be intersectionality like what is the problem like why do they have to be you know like one type of obedient character you know it's the feeling of this is a whole stereotype now it's not even focusing on like east asian southeast asian south asian it's like asian like you're literally just (laughs) yeah and even sometimes within the narrative like sometimes it's like left out the feeling of like wait, we there we have individuals with multiple like intersecting identities. How come we're like being forced into just one single narrative? Mm-hmm. And that's something that happens when we have not enough visibility. We don't have enough representation to really mm-hmm. look into, and then to generate like oh, there's a different kind of knowledge on it. Um, I don't know if you watch. Have you watched Harold and Kumar? Oh, I watched some of it. I watched like, clips of it, but yeah. Okay, okay. I have yet to watch. Yesterday, I watched the third one, but it was so interesting because it's like, it, I loved how there was like a East Asian character and also a, a South Asian character, and you have them. The two of them are the protagonists as they go and explore things, and I think, oh, it's just like you see they have like crude humor and things like this, but <clears throat> it's something that very often I see that only within white men. And that's also another gender, like gender kind of part that we need to focus on. (laughs) But sometimes one film does not equate all of representation. Yeah, doesn't do that. The Farewell doesn't do that. 
instead like how can we find from different films sources of oh this is something that i don't often see from mainstream films and tv shows i definitely want to talk with you more about films at some point we could do more <laughs> an episode for that what are some hopes and aspirations that you hope to do being through your identity through like what you study and also what you are interested in for me it's just like being open about my identities because i think that's so important for people like that's what i needed um just to see someone living their life doing their thing but also having these identities and just seeing that they can live they can live and lead normal lives and you know happy lives too like they can do what they want and um i think in being a cs like i'm partially doing this for family <laughs> but that's like another asian you know i guess like that's where it also like i don't know it just like comes from that too but i eventually i do want to be a professor in like something in history uh, i'm not a history person at all until i started doing like research papers for things that i like so asian history and it was so interesting just to, like read into it it's so fun like it really is like when you like something i have so many like 20, 20 pages, 15 pages of things that I just like, just keep like, I just need to look into. And I think I want to be a professor by the time I'm like 30. So like, that's not too far off. So, you know, um, I think for that, my hopes and aspirations are to like, give people representation by me being a professor, by me doing things that I like, and just like living my life. I think the I think people also expect people of color to do more than the average person. Um, and that sucks. Like, why can't we just live our lives, you know? And I think just by me living my life, I'm doing a lot right there. Like, even just existing and thriving is, like, so big for someone with multi, like, so many different identities. And I think for me, that's also important to see in other people. So for me, I'm just going to live my life and be open about it because I want someone else to see that they can have the same identity as me and have a good life and, like, do their thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't have to do too much for other people. I, that sounds that sounds selfish, but I don't mean it like that. I mean it more like we should just be able to live our lives and have it like that. And I think that's what I want for other kids, too, that I want them to see that you can do whatever you want, like, whatever. It's not that complicated. Like, you know, you don't have to, like, cry and hide and be stuck in a closet or be trying to conform to, like, white ideals and, like, you know, try to be in a white friend group because you want to be accepted. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can do whatever you want and you'll be fine. That's how, that's just my, you know, what I'm pushing for, basically. Sometimes I am left with the feeling of like, oh, I have to be more. Like, I have to be more because I grew up here, like my parents have done this and mm -hmm. they brought me here and I need to put myself into this expectation. And also what other people in my class like view of me like oh I need to exceed that kind of expectation but sometimes it just leads you to be so like worn off and so mm -hmm. tired too it's also not being super true to yourself because you're then kind of serving your expectations based on what other people view of you as opposed to what you internally view of yourself I definitely want you to do like some shout outs of things that you really recommend to let people kind of see what other resources they want to like check into yeah, there's so many, like, uh, like, brown, like, South Asian tattooers, like, that's another cool thing for me, I love that, that we're doing that, Asians in general doing tattoos, like, big thing, <laughs> I think we're not expected to have tattoos, we, or we, quote-unquote, can't, but we totally can, and I think our, our art firms are so dope that have it tattooed on us, 
um, Helena Tattoos, uh, that's a UK-based South Asian tattooer. I think they're also queer, not sure. Um, High Wildflower, they're a South Asian, um, they write books, they're an author. Um, I have a signed copy of one of their books. I, I asked them to come to, like, well, I did an event with them. I'm gonna go to movies. <laughs> uh, this is also, this is East Asian, but it's also something I connected to. So The Farewell, you mentioned that. Um, also, amazing movie, like, crying my eyes out. Because also, like, you know, the elders are also really important. All, all of Asia, it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, I think, I think, like, fundamentally, we have a lot of the same values. Like, elders are important, respect. And then, I think all... I think all Asian languages have honorifics, right? Mine does, and I know a lot of South Asians. Yes, I would say more in like Japan and Korea, that is like really, really stressed upon. Mm -hmm. But yes, we do have honorifics. Yeah, I think I think it's just I think that's unique to Asian languages. I'm not sure though. I'm not sure, but yeah, that's definitely something that I noticed too. And just like, I think like fundamental, quote unquote, like our values (laughs) as Asian countries, we have very similar ones. So I think that's why movies are related, but like The Farewell. Um, this is just, it's just a good movie, The Handmaiden. <laughs> uh, Joy Luck Club, and then uh, what else? And then Coops Are Out, this, this is like a Hindi movie, but it's it's just cute. I like it. Um, there's this new Netflix original uh, Indian TV show. It's so good. It's like, but they speak English for the most part. It was just something you'll notice. Um, if it's an Indian Netflix original TV show, they speak a lot of English because... Also, they also speak a lot of English in India for some reason. Um, the reason being colonization. <laughs> so, like, actually, though, like, um, South Asian co- co- countries, they have, um, uh, it's called English Grammar School, and, like, you learn British English, and, like, it's just, like, normal. Um, so that's another thing. The show is, like, these CS kids, and they're all, like, they're, like, 17, 18. This is the first time they're, like, going to the summer program, and um, they, like, I guess like have their like first loves and it's like it's like corny but also there's like a queer character in it and it's so dope it's so dope I think it's like something cutie I can't remember but it's so cool it was so nice to see that um from India there's so many things I really want to talk with you about but I guess we'll have to go with our last question due to time um but what do you find it is to be acting Asian for you? Uh, good question. Um, I think acting Asian for me is having to be... I feel like a lot of it is having to be aware of other Asian countries sometimes. And I find myself comparing myself sometimes. Just like, am I Asian enough? Like, am I... Do they see me as Asian? And um, a lot of times the answer is no, they don't. Like, and it's like... Um, I'm also Asian just because I'm brown doesn't mean I'm not, you know what I mean? Um, I think that's something I think about. And for me, acting Asian is, I don't know, it's just like doing my thing. I, I'm tired of like stereotypes and boxes and, uh, in like, as you know, I have like multiple different identities, so I don't fit into any boxes and there's not many spaces that are very specific to who I am. So I kind of like play around in all of these spaces and for me that's a part of acting Asian it's being able to like move in different spaces and I don't act a specific way just how I am thank you so much Zubeda for talking with me is there anything that you want us to kind of look out to um I'm currently working on a queer South Asian youth 
<laughs> organization with the with the same person I talked to from high school. Um, the person who kind of gave me my first taste of representation. Uh, we're again, as I mentioned, we're friends now, so we've been working on something. It's not out yet, but I will let you know if it ever is out. Um, but yeah, that's something I'm working on, and also just like thank you, Izzy, for like <laughs> asking to be on here. This was so nice. Like I actually had so much fun just talking for like an hour, and like it just like worked out. I'm really glad. Um that you've enjoyed it and like oh it's just like so nice to talk because i know we said that we're gonna watch a movie too thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of acting asian if you enjoy listening to these episodes don't forget to subscribe on apple or spotify podcasts or anywhere where you listen to podcasts and please leave a review see you soon for the next episode on acting asian